if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Eight minutes after 10 o'clock, hour number two is underway on this Friday, the 23rd morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2020. We continue now with our friend Peter Kersenow, who is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, among many other titles. And uh, Pete, before we get back into debate analysis, I just want to remind everybody of what used to be the dumbest thing ever to come out, uh, come from a Georgia, a Georgia elected official. And... Um I don't know how many square miles that that is. Do you happen to know? I don't have that uh, figure with me, sir. I can certainly supply it to you if you'd like. Yeah, my my fear is that uh, the whole island will uh, become so overly populated that it will tip over and uh, and capsize. Uh, Hank Johnson used to carry that title proudly. <laughs> yeah. I, if, you, if you look at the video, go to the v, YouTube video, the expression on the face of the military officer to whom he was posing that question is priceless. It is one yes. of the best things you ever want to see. It really is. Um, and by the way, um, the sad fact of the matter here, Pete, is um, the woman, the um, Georgia state representative that you and I were discussing, Darshan Kendrick, isn't alone. Um former Brown uh running back Eric Metcalf, you remember Eric Metcalf of course, right? Yeah, you're Ep- Metcalf up the middle. Yeah, Metcalf up the middle. Now it's Metcalf off the edge because uh he thinks the Coyotes are actually carrying babies too. <laughs> he, he actually he actually tweeted, he literally tweeted Peter Kirsten now the same thing that she did uh and said when did ba- uh, babies start being brought over by Coyotes? He he and and there's a bunch of people collecting these now. Liberal idiots all over the internet agreed and thought that what they were talking about was the animals, coyotes, bringing babies across the border. I, I, I was just talking to Derek, my producer, off the air, man. God help her when she realizes that a drug mule isn't an actual mule. It's not a mule or a donkey, that it's still a human being. <laughs> it brings drugs across our border. I mean, Peter, I just, like I said, you know, Eric Metcalf, he's a former football player, and if he wants to be an idiot, uh, go be an idiot. Uh, it's fine. If you want to expose yourself as an idiot, expose yourself online as an idiot. Remove all doubt. That's fine. 
But these people are elected officials, the Hank Johnson. Hank Johnson's still in Congress. 10, 15 yep, years sure after is. that, uh, after that Guam tip, tipping over the, and this Darshan Kendrick is a, is a Georgia state representative and probably has aspirations to higher offices. These are elected officials. I don't know what it is about Georgia or, or what it is, period, but my God, I, I'm just, I'm still blown away by all that, Peter. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, they're not alone. Um, I have, uh, you know, in the dozens of times I've testified before Congress, typically it, before Senate Judiciary on a host of issues, but uh, when I, I mean, I can tell you stories, but I remember one specific example when it was a House subcommittee on banking. I was just, don't ask me why I was testifying there, but, and I won't go into all the details, just to let you know that among the members of Congress that were in that committee and asking questions were, um, Maxine Waters, and, um, oh my goodness, and I can't remember his name. I, I drew a blank for a second. He's now Attorney General Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison. Oh, God. And um, right, right. I have to go to the transcript to for you to fully appreciate the level of stupidity in their questions. But it got to the point where I was near in contempt of Congress in responding back to them. I do not advise anyone to do this who's speaking before Congress. And, I, and I'm ashamed that I did this, but part of me is a little tickled. They asked one question, and I, I responded in a way that was somewhat flippant. And then I think it was Maxine Waters saying, that, are you saying that we're stupid, that we're wrong? And I said, which one of those do you want me to answer first? And <laughs> uh, I got the, the witness next to me was giving me the elbow in my ribs, and I knew I'd gone a little bit overboard, but in any event. <laughs> I wish I could see video of that. That's classic. And that's classic, Peter. Um, Pete, let's uh, let's get back into this now before we do any more on the debate and what happened last night. You said you've got some numbers. You've been doing a little digging and you've got some metrics to give us an idea of what's going to happen 11 days from right. now. Tell yeah, us Bob, about thanks. That. You know, uh, first of all, I want to thank the Cuyahoga Valley Republicans to whom I presented some of this data just a couple of days ago. It was a great meeting that we had. A lot of energized folks. What I've seen, and maybe you've seen this or heard this from your listeners, but you know, because the polls are so overwhelmingly negative and have been for such a time, although they're tightening, even the major polls are tightening, you know, there's a little level of anxiety, concern. Some people are somewhat dispirited. It's not much, but somewhat. And I'm not making a prediction here. I'm not saying Trump's going to win or anything else like that. I will say I think the only way he loses is through some type of fraud or post-election shenanigans. And I don't think that's actually going to play a factor. But when you look at the polls, keep in mind a number of things. First of all, um, those polls, as we know, were wildly inaccurate in 2016, wildly inaccurate in 2018, the most storied polling franchise in the country, Gallup, in 2015, before the debacle, the polling debacle of 2016, said, we are getting out of the business of candidate polling because of changes in technology, cell phones, demographics. It is nearly impossible to come up with an accurate polling measure. Nonetheless, everybody else marched forward and got their butts handed to them because of the wild level of inaccuracy. So, what we look to now, knowing that the polls have been inaccurate and there's no evidence that they have adjusted their models adequately, let's look at those measures that have been nearly infallible over a century, okay? The kind of data points and questions that year in or election cycle in, election cycle out, have shown to be accurate, okay? With maybe one or two exceptions. The three most reliable, Bob, 
are, first, the question that Reagan used to pose all the time, but it was actually a Gallup question that began almost 60 years ago, and is, are you better off than you were four years ago? And I know some of your listeners have heard this one, but in response to that question this month, 56% of respondents said, yes, I'm better off than I was four years ago. And this is, keep in mind, during the age of this pandemic, Okay, we all acknowledge that 2020 is the weirdest year, in many cases, a very depressing year, yet 56% said we're better off now than we were four years ago. Now, that is an historic high. The next closest at 50, from 56% was 47.5 in 1984 under Reagan. 1984, and you remember what happened then, Reagan took every state except for Mondale's home state of Minnesota. In 2012, when Obama won re-election, it was 44. 56 versus 44. The next most reliable indicator is voter approval, or presidential approval rating in the two weeks preceding, or some people say the month preceding, doing a rolling average of mm -hmm. the election. Voter approval. Right now, Trump has hit a high watermark of 52%. That's extraordinary. That points to a win. Okay, I'm not predicting it, but I'm simply saying this is a data point that's proven to be much more reliable than the polls. Next, voter enthusiasm. Okay, by the way, I, I said three. These are, I want to give you the four most important data points. Voter enthusiasm, number three. That's an extremely important metric because we saw that in 2016. Remember, Trump was always way behind Hillary Clinton in the raw polling totals, but voter enthusiasm, he looked pretty good. Now, right now, there's a 20-point gap between Trump and Biden in national voter enthusiasm. And it's at an astonishing, I believe it's unprecedented, although I haven't looked at all the data, and it's astonishing 33% gap, or 33-point gap in swing states. Trump right now has the highest voter enthusiasm rating of any president in history. Biden has the lowest in history. In 2016, by way of measurement, remember, the national gap right now between the two is 20. In 2016, the gap between Trump and Clinton was 12. The fourth one is party affiliation. This one is really interesting, okay? Now, if you go back... 20 years, every year, I'm striking that, every month, Gallup measures party affiliation. Not just what you register as, but are you affiliated? Do you consider yourself a Republican, Democrat, Independent, Socialist, what have you? Okay. In the last, and I spent some time doing this, in the last 237 months, nearly 20 years, the GOP has led Democrats only three times in that measure. Twice in early 2002, and that was on the heels of George W. Bush's historic presidential approval ratings on the heels of 9-11. And the only other time was this month. Give you, an, give you some uh, benchmarks. In 2004, by the way, it, when I looked through this, I determined that unless Democrats have a plus five, that is, they have exceeded Republican uh, um, affiliation by five points, 
they do not win the election. A minimum of five points is necessary because as follows, and, and I've gone through other uh, elections too, but I'm going to give you mm-hmm. just a few. In okay. 2004, when uh, Democrats led by five points, Bush still beat Kerry by three. In 2008, Obama led McCain by 12. Obama wins. In 2012, uh, Obama led by seven. He wins. In 2016, Hillary led by five, she loses. And right now, GOP plus one. First time in 20 years. So those are the foremost. If we have more time, you have to have an overlay of this, of what's known as the shy Trump voter. In other words, those individuals that polls are unlikely to pick up because many people, as we know, don't respond to polls or respond falsely. That was a significant phenomenon in 2016. Let me let me jump in here. Let me jump in here because of the clock. Um, you can continue on the shy Trump voter after the break, but then I do want to ask you about the you know the you know the chicanery that is still going to be in play here. You saw what happened when the Supreme Court was asked to decide on Pennsylvania allowing to count votes up to three days after the election, uh, even if the postmarks are not clear. Um, there are still going to be issues that I think uh, that are going to be in play here that I don't know if any of those previous metrics you're talking about can account for, but I'll ask your thoughts on that on the flip side on AM 1420, The Answer. Five minutes left with Peter Kersenow coming up at 1035 this morning. Congressman Jim Jordan will be with us. So you're going to want to definitely listen to his um, debate reaction and analysis as well as the Hunter Biden laptop and documentation, et cetera, about uh, foreign dealings involving his father as well. Um, Pete, you were talking about the shy Trump voter, and and I want you to factor that in. And then also you kind of mentioned uh, in passing, you don't think it's going to be a big deal. Um, I'm, I'm a little more worried than you are. When I saw the Supreme Court, by the way, it's why Amy Coney Barrett cannot be seated soon enough to avoid things like, the, God, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but the four to four court. John Roberts is just flat out, that's it. I mean, it's no longer of, hey, he's a center right. No, he's not. He sides with the four liberals on that court constantly. Everybody who thinks this is going to be a 6-3 court when Barrett gets seated is deluding themselves. It'll be 5-4 because Roberts is solidly with the left on that court. And when they made the decision uh, to stay at 4-4 and uh, thus keeping the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision to allow more votes to be counted up to three days after the election, if they're, even if they're not clearly postmarked before the election, um, I'm worried. I'm worried about the, the results of the election on election night being changed in coming days and weeks by states like Pennsylvania. Yeah, I think it's important to be concerned. Uh, I, as I said at the outset of my analysis, um, you know, that um, I think the only way Trump loses is because of fraud or shenanigans. And I'll address that in a moment. But first, let me talk about the um, shy Trump voter. Right now, 68% of Republicans respond or don't respond to pollsters or respond falsely. That's a, and it's nearly a doubling of where that figure was in 2016. And a lot of people attribute the shock of election night 2016 to the fact that the polls didn't capture the shy Trump voter. Well, this time, 68% 
are not responding. So as difficult as Gallup says the uh, candidate measurement was back in 2016, it's become worse. Far fewer, fewer than half that total of Democrats respond that they don't respond to polls. So they're not capturing, meaning the polls, the depth of Trump's support out there, without any question. Now, going back to voter fraud, again, concerned about it, and I'm concerned about manipulation of the election afterwards with respect to litigation, so on and so forth. Um, But I want to put a little bit of a damper on how uh, concerned we should be. Not to say we shouldn't be concerned, but when you take a look at the state-by-state mail-in regulations and rules, the the places where this type of fraud might have an impact, um, there are a lot of limitations that are in in place, checks and balances that even if there's an attempted fraud, it has to do with, by the way, um, I think it's uh, our friend Tom Z, by the way, uh, has come up yeah. with a, an interesting analysis of this. Uh, and I don't know that I completely concur with all of it, but 90% of it rings true. And it, by saying I don't concur, that means I, I don't reject it, but I just simply haven't worked out the math in my own mind or the law in my own mind on this. But nonetheless, I think it was a very good analysis. There are checks and balances in place to prevent the kind of wholesale voter fraud or enough fraud to tip the election. Most of these states are not mail-in states. They are absentee ballot states. And the difference is that the state then has a, an ability to control which people have gotten ballots and have not gotten ballots and which ballots have been returned. So there's that kind of control on it. But in addition, the places where you've got, quote-unquote, mail-in ballots, that is where they simply mail ballots to people, regardless of if they asked for an absentee ballot, that's the the loosey-goosey one that is most subject to fraud. Those states are mainly states that Trump lost last time as a very, it's virtually impossible he's going to win them this time because like California, Washington, places like that. So he's not going to lose any electoral votes as a result of that. Um, and the electoral map is extremely challenging for, for, for Biden. He has, remember that old path to victory that all the media pundits talked about in 2016? Trump has a very narrow path to victory. Well, Biden's is even narrower because if Trump keeps most of the states. He can lose Pennsylvania. He can lose Michigan. You know, he can lose any combination of Florida, Michigan, and Florida, Michigan, and North Carolina, or there's a number of states he can lose and still prevail in the electoral vote. So I'm not discounting the prospect of voter fraud. I think it's likely to happen, but I don't think it's going to be determinative. Um, At least I'm hopeful, but we are going to have a long and drawn out process, I believe, unless it's just a huge Trump landslide or a landslide the other way, which I doubt. Again, you know, half of life is showing up, or maybe it's 90% that Woody Allen said. Trump is showing up in spades. Biden is in his basement. You don't win elections that way. Very well said, Peter Kersenow. He had a lot of great information. If you're looking for some optimism as we go into the the last 11 days before this election, I think Peter Kersenow gave you a lot of it and a lot of reasons to remain that way. Peter, thank you, my friend. I appreciate your analysis always. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Bob. Hope you feel better. Thank you, Pete. Peter Kirsten now joining us. It's 1030 and time for news. On the other side of the news, uh, the hit parade continues. Congressman Jim Jordan will break down last night's debate and more on AM 1420, The Answer.
social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed, it is now 1035. Thanks again for being with us on AM 1420. The answer. Thanks to Peter Kirsten. Our tremendous analysis and insight uh, for the last uh, 60 minutes, actually. He put in overtime for us. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate that. I want to bring Congressman Jim Jordan onto the program now as we continue to react to last night's second and final presidential debate and a little bit more. Congressman, it's good to have you. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Bob. Good to be with you. Good to talk to you, as always. Um, I thought this was as big of a moment last night as any that we had. Would he close down the oil industry? Would you close down the oil industry? I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, that's transition. That is a big statement. It is a big statement. Transitioning (laughs) transitioning away from the oil industry. And then uh, uh, also from the coal industry. And also transitioning away from all fossil fuels. This is all in keeping consistent with what he has said along the campaign trail. And when the president said, are you listening, Texas? Are you listening, Pennsylvania? Are you listening, Ohio, Kentucky? Any Mm -hmm. state that relies upon fossil fuels uh, for their very lifeblood, for example. Uh, I hope you're listening to this. Do you think they got the message last night, Congressman? I, I do, and I think he just confirmed what he's been denying for so long. He does truly embrace the Green New Deal. Uh, I mean, he, that that was loud and clear. You know, that he tried to couch in a little this, this transitioning word, but we all know where they want to go. They want to get rid of oil, gas, and coal. They want to go to some crazy scheme that's going to drive up the cost of energy for every single American family, drive up the cost for every single American good producer. That's what this means, and that's where the radical left wants to take it. But you know, Bob, as bad as all that is, that still isn't what scares me the most. That's terrible what they want to do, and and we all know how bad it is. What scares me the most is what they want to do to your freedom, which is what we've talked about before on this. But yeah, that was a big moment in last night's debate. No question about it. Did you feel like the debate was fair, Congressman? And and what I mean by that is, I, I'm not saying that you know Kristen Welker just flat out argued with the president. She did interrupt him a lot, a lot more than Joe Biden, that's for sure. But it wasn't like an argumentative thing. It's just that every single question it seemed was designed to put Donald Trump on the defensive and allow Joe Biden to go on the offensive. And that's why these entire, I think the entire Commission on Presidential Debates is is flawed at its outset and allowing partisan uh representatives of partisan media companies like nbc you know be in charge of the questioning and the for the framing of the entire debate i just feel like it does such a disservice i thought president trump did a solid job i wouldn't call it an a no. but it was a solid job and it could have been better if it was a, a level playing field no i thought he did great uh i i, I was I'm with you i thought i thought the president was was on his game and did a did a really good job the um but you're right. She was better. She wasn't as, as she kind of managed things better. But the framework, the structure, the whole context, the questions are asked in areas that favor the Democrats. The questions are, are asked that, that tend to put the president on defensive and allow the, the Democrats to go on the offense. So right. the, the structure, you're exactly right. The structure is rigged in a way that makes it difficult for uh, the conservative, difficult for the president. But in spite of all that, I still thought he won. I, I thought he kicked his, kicked his tail. Um, but yeah, there, there, we, we may need to change the structure. What we, you know, some people suggest. I think it's Shapiro suggested. You know, why not have a conservative ask the Democrat questions, have a, have a liberal ask the the, the, the Republican questions? That's fine. 
at least, at least we know what we're getting there. And, and, yeah, and at least that's transparent. That. The cloak is removed yeah. because, you know, yeah. Kristen Welker, these people, Chris Wallace, they, they, they try to hide behind a cloak of, of you know, unbiased, uh, uh, you know, you know of, of fair, and, fair and impartiality. And, and quite frankly, we know who she is. We, you know, I watch yeah, NBC. Bob. I see her. And yeah. I, you might as well yeah. have had Savannah Guthrie or Chuck Todd do it because they all have the same mindset. Yeah. Yeah, but if you want to see just really how bad the press is on full display, because I've been through this experience, watch the unedited version of the president that he released yesterday of his 60 Minutes interview with Leslie Stahl. Watch that. That shows you how bad these people are, because I've had that same experience. We did a 60 Minutes episode, and they always taped that, of course. We did a 60 Minutes deal back at the start of this Congress when they were doing a profile of, of uh, former Chairman Cummings. And I know what that experience is like, and what when you said in those those taped interviews, which is why I don't like to do tape interviews, I like to do them live. But the president, by releasing that, shows just how ridiculous, how biased, how out to get the uh, conservatives and Republicans, the, the mainstream left wing press is. If, if your if your listeners haven't seen that, go watch it on Facebook. Watch that. Uh, watch that sixty minutes interview. It is it is funny, and the I mean, the president is is so good in that interview. Uh, Congressman Jordan, let's talk a little bit about um, the 11th hour, October surprise, some people want to call it, whatever you want to call the revelations on Hunter Biden's laptop that he dropped mm-hmm. off at a Delaware repair store and then never went back for. So it was turned over, of course, to several authorities. Now, yesterday, in addition to the information on that laptop uh, and other documentation, yesterday we get uh, uh, a startling revelation right before, you know, in a, in a press conference, right before yep. the... Um, uh, debate even happens, and we have Joe Biden, or excuse me, Hunter Biden's former business partner, coming clean about everything that they were involved with, including including the company that they formed, named after uh, you know uh, Hunter Biden's brothers, his late brother's favorite pet or favorite animal, uh, you know, mm-hmm. son of hawk, and um, all of this is laying out there, and and you know, in in decades gone by, a curious media. A fourth estate would be all over this because this is extraordinarily important information that could be disqualifying for one of the two candidates here, and they would have jumped up yeah. and down all over this. And now we literally have taxpayer-funded radio in the form of NPR announcing to listeners, eh, this is nothing. That's a big nothing burger. We're not going to waste our time or yours even looking at it. No. Congressman, well, uh, th- this, is, yeah. this, is, this is astounding to me, the, the, the cover-up. Yeah, not only will the mainstream press not look into it, Silicon Valley, big tech, for those for those good people doing real journalism that do look into it, Silicon Valley won't um, won't allow people to see it. For goodness' sake, they tried to censor it, and right. they're still trying to censor the, the the New York Post. So it's it's even worse. The mainstream press won't do their job, and big tech will prevent the few people in the press who are actually doing what journalism is supposed to do. I thought James Freeman, if you get a chance to read James Freeman's column in the, in the, in the Wall Street Journal, he, he, he used the term silicon curtain coming down on, the, on, on uh, you, you know, to preventing Americans from getting access to information. So I, I think that's an appropriate term, frankly, in, in, in light of what Twitter and Facebook are doing. But the facts are that are clear, and Americans are, 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 are it's going to get through that, the the uh, ODNI uh, director Ratcliffe said this is not Russian disinformation, as Adam Schiff and, and some of the Democrats tried to say for early on in this story. This is not Russian disinformation. FBI has said it has confirmed what Ratcliffe said. The Bidens will not deny any of the claims. So so the no. facts are coming out, 
And the big guy reference, as, as you point out, this business partner who came forward, the big guy reference is, in fact, in those emails to um, a reference to former Vice President Joe Biden. So the, the facts are clear, and Biden was trading on his dad's name. We all knew that from the impeachment hearings, and now we have solid proof that Joe Biden, what, what he told us a year ago during impeachment, was not, in fact, the truth. You know, I, don't, I know I don't have to ask you this, but uh, I'm going to ask you just to put it into words anyway. Can you imagine if one one-hundredth of the evidence that has come forward in this case about, you know, illegal financial dealings involving profiting off of the office of the vice president, if, if one one-hundredth of this was, was available about Donald Trump Jr. for President Trump, as opposed to Hunter Biden for and on behalf of Joe Biden, um, can you imagine what the, the the Congress would be in session? You guys would be in session right now. Nancy Pelosi would be calling emergency hearings, and the media, of course, would be doing its job, and they would be right to do the yeah. job if this kind of information came out. They would absolutely yeah. be right, but they but but because this is the candidate that they favor, they literally are saying we're not doing our job. We are not even going to even give this the light of day. Eleven days from now, the long national nightmare of the orange man bad will be over. Let's just ride it out. Yeah. No, they would not only be doing their job; they they would be they'd be calling for uh, they'd be calling for prosecution. I mean, they, it, it, you you know how they would go because again, we've already seen it. We saw three and a half years of them chasing after President Trump, going after President Trump when there was nothing there. We saw the whole town, every single Democrat, every single person in the mainstream press, and frankly, a handful of Republicans who went after the president for three and a half years based on nothing. And now when there's real evidence, real evidence of real wrongdoing, they, they don't do a darn thing. Um, Tony Bobulinski uh, is the CEO. He described himself as the CEO of the Cinehawk Holdings Company that he mm-hmm. uh, ch- mm-hmm. uh, shared with, uh, with, with Hunter Biden. He's the one, of course, who gave the, the remarks last night. He said he is turning over his phones and all documentation that he has to a Senate committee. Yep. Um, do we have 11 days? I mean, do we have enough time in 11 days to get to any real answers here that could impact um, people's votes? Yeah, this is a real tough thing. 50 million people have already voted. 50 million I know. have already early voted uh, before a lot of this comes out. I, that's one of the reasons I have a problem with early voting, because sometimes here, this information yeah. at the last yeah. minute is a game changer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Uh, look, Ron Johnson is going to do a, a, a good job. He will dig into this. Uh, uh, you know, our staff on the Judiciary Committee has been has, has been doing everything we can to get information out there. We're, we're, uh, we we want the same information to come to uh, our committee staff as well. And Terry Nadler's not going to ask for it. Um, so we're going to all dig into this. But I think the evidence is pretty – I mean, the evidence is clear. The facts are clear. Americans just need to hear it now. So that that's our job is to make sure you – Every single American voter needs to know that a guy running for the highest office in the land, the most important office, frankly, in the world, presidency of the United States, he misled the American people when during impeachment he said he had no contact with his son whatsoever about his business dealings with foreign countries. That's not accurate. That is not true. We have an eyewitness and we have the documents, the emails that this eyewitness is saying are in fact real and are a reference to Joe Biden. So the facts are, uh, are unimpeachable. The facts are clear. We just need to make sure the American people understand it. Now, there's more things you can dig into. I would, I would also encourage your listeners, read Kim Strassel's journal where she lays this out and, and information they've got from Mr. Bobolinsky. She lays out her column in such a concise and, and straightforward way. Really shows you that the, the, the facts are very, very clear.
Yeah, very important uh, that that the American people learn as much about this as they can, those who have not yet already cast their vote, because this could very well be a game changer. Last thing I want to ask you, Congressman, you know, we're 11 days out um, from what should be the election, and it should be the, you know, the winner being declared. Um, I'm not confident of that. I was very distressed when I was out sick last week to learn that the Supreme Court, um, uh, in a 4-4 deadlock with John Roberts, once again proving that he is nobody's conservative, nobody's originalist, sides yeah. with the liberal, uh, liberal wing of the court again, which is why Amy mm-hmm. Coney Barrett cannot be seated soon enough. But they decided, uh, you know, in a 4-4 split, essentially to allow the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision to stand, and they're going to be able to count votes up to three days after Election Day. Uh, and if things aren't postmarked clearly, they're going to count those votes rather than proving somebody having to yeah. prove. Yeah, right. That's that's a big, big part of this. And I, I got to tell you, I have a legitimate concern that President Trump is going to win on election night, but by a week later, have that entire thing taken away from him. No, I'm nervous, too. But here's the good news. Uh, I was in Pennsylvania uh, on, on Tuesday, Wednesday this week. And you can feel the energy for the president, just like you can here in our state. You know, I, I, I jokingly say, when's the last time you saw a Biden vote parade? When's the last time you saw a Biden parade for anything? I mean, Biden will do an event, and there'll, there'll be five circles out there, but there's only four people. They can't even fill up each of those little individual circles. So, so the energy is all on our side. I can feel in Ohio. I saw it in Pennsylvania when I was over there helping some colleagues uh, and, helping, and, and helping the president. The, um, I think he's going to win. I think this thing is going to break big for him in the end. Uh, you're right. The Democrats are trying to win this election after the election with these games they're playing on on on, mm-hmm. on state uh, mail-in ballot uh, laws. But but I think he's going to win, and we just got to do everything we can to encourage our friends and family in this state and in all those other key states around the country to go do uh, to go vote for the president. Yeah, very. It's very clear. It's it's all going to be about that enthusiasm and that turnout. Uh, and fifty. I, I, do you have an idea? Do you have a sense or a belief or just a gut feeling, hairs on the back of your neck, that what fifty million people already voting on October twenty third, what that means, whether that's good or bad for reelection? Well, uh, look, people are voting early. I think, in, in, in large part, because of the concerns about the virus. And yeah, that's understandable. But but the. the I do hear registration numbers are, are up for Republicans around the country. That's good. Uh, I do think the energy, as I just said, is on our side. You can feel it, and you can feel it growing. Momentum is a big thing in any competition. The big thing in sports, you understand that. You played ball. You, you understand how it works. And, and it's the same thing applies in politics and in the context of a political campaign. So I think the momentum is our direction. You saw that last night in the debate with how well the president did. Um, I think we're gonna. I think it's gonna break our way. We're gonna pick up seats. We're gonna keep the Senate. We're gonna pick up seats in the House. If it really breaks big, which I think there's real potential, we could take back the House. So uh, I know the polls say something different, but that was the same thing that, that that we saw in 16. I think President Trump's gonna get reelected, and that is a good thing for this country. Yeah, the president predicted on uh, live television last night that uh, we will take back the House. He really thinks that Nancy Pelosi's unbelievably partisan leadership uh, is doing a disservice to the country and that it's going to lead to Republicans taking back the House, and I certainly hope that is the case. Congressman Jordan, thanks for making the time on a Friday. I certainly appreciate it, sir. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, that's uh, Congressman Jim Jordan on AM 1420. The answer, it's 1050. We'll get our final time out and come back with a final few phone calls. Dial them up right now. We'll get you up. 216-901-0945. What did you think from last night? Your final thoughts to close the week on AM 1420, The Answer.
Okay, I've got about four and a half minutes to squeeze in as many of these phone calls as I can, so we'll go to Diane in West Park. Diane, go ahead. You're on the air. Bob, I just want to urge all my fellow Trumpers to please go out and vote early. We've got the, the weather, the sun. We've got a gorgeous day. Even if you had to uh, wait outside, go down to the Cleveland Board of Elections and get it done. We're going to have some bad weather. We might have snow by November 3rd. Who knows? Well, you know, that's very true. That's very true. It could be. I appreciate Thank you, Diane. And I, I second that, encouraging people to get out there and get it done. I don't like the idea of early voting for the reasons that I explained to G- Jim Jordan. You know, this stuff, this late-breaking stuff on Hunter Biden is very important. And if it could make up the mind or change the mind of somebody who is finding it out and then voting on Election Day, that's the way it's supposed to work. But for the, at this point, 50 million people have already cast ballots and so now late-breaking information that can be disqualifying, too late, you already cast your vote for Joe Biden, potentially, anyway. So, you know, that's the one problem I have. But since it's there, yes, get out and vote. You don't want to be stuck, like she said, in a snowstorm on November 3rd or have anything else get in the way of you actually getting your vote cast. So if you've got to get out there and do it early, it's better to, to do it than not do it at all. Uh, Lisa in Medina, this is Lisa Woods. Hi, Lisa, go right ahead. Hi, I enjoyed the debate, got to watch it with my my uh, mother and brother, and I, I thought it was uh, interesting, and I thought Trump did well. Um, but I also want to tell you that we are having our last McFan meeting uh, before the election, and we do have um, Rob Walgate speaking tomorrow morning at 8.30 at the Copper Top. Excellent. That's so good. Rob, is, Rob did such a great job filling in for me while I was out. <laughs> Excuse me. He really did. Yeah, he's such a great guy. He's so knowledgeable in so many areas. That's going to be areas. So that's going to be a great event tomorrow, I'm sure. Yes, and they're building really close to here in Valley City, and so uh, I think it's a good uh, go-together. And so we're really looking forward to seeing Rob uh, Walgate tomorrow at the Copper Top at Fantastic. 8.30. And that is out on uh, uh, 5740 Center Road in Valley City. And I hope some folks can come out there. I do, too, and it, it'll be a great person to see. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it. Um, let me get to Shard and John. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, John. Hey, Bob. Great to have you back. Last Thank night, you, Biden confirmed he's a bald-faced liar, and he also confirmed if you vote for him, you're voting for a vegetable that's going downhill fast. It feels that way. It really does. He, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I think the way, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Hugh Hewitt described it, he just wilted as the night went on. If that had been a two or a two and a half hour event, uh, I think he, he seriously, he would have had, had to ask for a chair. Uh, he, physically, he's in decline. Mentally, he's in decline. Meanwhile, the Energizer Bunny, uh, President Trump on the other side, just keeps going and going and going. He's going to be at a rally again today. Yeah, I mean, he was, from what they said, he was on Air Force One uh, doing work. Rather than sleeping on his way back from the debate, I mean, the guy just never stops. Joe Biden cannot seem to get himself going, uh, and that's extraordinarily important. Thank you, John. Let me get one more quick call in from Pete in Elyria. Hi, Pete. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Real quick. I know you're on the edge, but um, unless laws have changed, you can go back to election day to the board of elections and get your ballot back and change it. Wait. Say that again. At least it used to be this way. You can go to the Board of Elections, get your envelope back, and re-vote. They tear it up. I have never heard of that before. That's some thanks for the call, Pete. I'll have to look into that next week. I've never heard of such a thing. I thought once your vote was cast, your vote is cast, but we'll talk about that next week. Stay here. Mike Gallagher is next. Have a safe and healthy weekend. We'll see you Monday. Bye-bye.